Welcome to episode 34 of Wild Utah, the podcast of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. I'm Dave Pacheco. Off-road vehicles have been a recurring focus of this podcast, and in this episode, we're talking in-depth about travel management planning. We're going to someone whose focus is travel planning, and that's SUA policy fellow, Kelsey Cruikshank. Kelsey, thanks for joining us. Dave, thanks for having me. So from the top, Kelsey, can you remind folks of what we mean when we say travel management planning and just give us a general synopsis of why the Utah Bureau of Land Management is doing this planning and what it means for our wild places? Yeah, of course, Dave. So travel management planning is basically the process the Bureau of Land Management goes through to designate routes that are open to motorized vehicles on BLM managed land. And when we talk about motorized vehicles, these include everything from cars and trucks to dirt bikes and ATVs. And I want to be clear that SUA is not opposed to motorized recreation everywhere. But we are opposed to motorized recreation that threatens our wild places. Off-road vehicles damage air and water quality, they cause excessive noise, and they harm other resources. Not to mention the climate impacts of burning fossil fuels as a form of recreation. Right now, many of the routes being considered for designation as open to motorized vehicles are in or adjacent to wilderness quality lands, and the wilderness itself is at risk of being lost through badly done travel management planning. Now, the Utah Bureau of Land Management is doing this planning now because of a 2017 settlement agreement that requires the BLM to complete new travel management plans. You know, we've covered the 2017 settlement agreement on previous episodes of this podcast, namely episodes 9, 17, and 22. And it's an important part of the story that bears repeating. So explain for us the events leading up to that settlement, what was agreed to by SUA, the Utah BLM, and the courts, and remind us why the BLM is obligated to do this travel planning now. Sure. So this goes back a few decades, actually. The BLM is required to update its resource management plans, or RMPs, every couple decades. RMPs are sort of like city zoning plans in that they dictate where certain activities are allowed to take place on public lands, like which areas are open to oil and gas development or should be protected in their natural state. Way back in 2008, the BLM released six RMPs that dictated how 11 million acres of some of Utah's most iconic landscapes would be managed. These RMPs included travel plans that designated a huge number of routes as open to motorized recreation. SUA challenged those plans, and the federal district court agreed with SUA and found that the BLM failed to comply with federal laws to protect public lands and resources from damage caused by off-road vehicles. Under a settlement agreement from 2017, the BLM is now required to complete 13 new travel plans by 2025, covering more than 6 million acres of southern and eastern Utah. Okay, so we've previously talked about the Sanderfell Desert and Sanderfell Swell travel planning areas, but more areas are now open or about to open for public comment. Can you bring us up to date on where the BLM's travel planning process is at and which areas are next up? Well, next up, we have the Ponsagunt travel management area that's open for public scoping right now. And we expect a draft for the Labyrinth Rims Gemini Bridges travel management area to be released for public comment very shortly. Okay, so let's take those one at a time, starting with the Ponsagant. This is an area immediately north and east of Kanab, Utah. Can you elaborate on the specific problems in this area and what a listener to this podcast who might know this area well 
uh, could offer to help protect these places? Yeah, of course. The Ponsagun Travel Management Area includes almost 200,000 acres of BLM-managed land in Kane County, just west of the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. It includes several areas with wilderness character, including Upper Kanab Creek. It's also used for all types of recreation, including hiking, biking, camping, and horse riding. This area is particularly dense with cultural resources, resources that are literally at risk of being run over by off-road vehicles. Right now, listeners have an opportunity to get involved as the BLM is soliciting public scoping input until the 25th of March. On their website, the BLM has made available maps of all the routes being considered for designation in the Ponsagant Travel Management Area, and the public's encouraged to provide comments on any resource issues related to these routes. Comments are most helpful when they identify specific areas or trails, discuss non-motorized uses like hiking and camping, and any ways in which motorized use conflicts with your particular use or enjoyment. Well, that's great. We'll have a link to that comment uh, area so people can just click on that and submit their comments. So Kelsey, you mentioned the importance of this Ponsagant area because of its cultural resources. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? What exactly are we talking about that's at risk here? And what is the problem? Sure thing. So the Ponsagant is a really special and unique part of Utah. And one of the things that makes it such an exciting place to visit is just the density of cultural resources, everything from rock art in pictographs and petroglyphs um, to old habitation sites, dwellings, potsherds, evidence of hunter-gatherers and ancestral Puebloans. Just the density of resources in the Ponsagant area is pretty much unparalleled. It's really incredible. And that's one reason this area needs to be protected because a lot of the routes that the BLM may designate for motorized use, they actually travel directly through these sites. So not adjacent, not le- nearby, not leading to, but directly through. We're talking ORVs that are driving right over ancient habitation sites through potsherds. I mean, the physical damage is really on a, an unprecedented scale compared to the other travel management areas. And I would imagine that the reason for that is because these are user-created routes Riders are just kind of going off, creating their own routes. The agency has never taken the time to actually inventory those areas for those resources. And that's precisely what the problem here is. Yeah, that's exactly it. A lot of these are user-created two tracks and created by people who aren't archaeologists. They don't know what they're doing necessarily. This isn't necessarily intentional. But in some cases, it does lead to increased looting and the theft of cultural resources. That's because people now have access to these areas because there's tracks that go out there, right? There are roads going right through them. Well, thank you very much, Kelsey. That's, that really helps you know, put a fine point on that question. So you mentioned uh, another area where travel planning is well underway and one where our friends in the river running community are raising concern. Uh, and that's the Labyrinth Canyon Gemini Bridges Travel Plan. Talk about those specific problems being addressed in that planning area and what form of help can be offered. So the other planning area that I mentioned earlier was the Labyrinth Rims Gemini Bridges, and that's just outside Moab, and it encompasses the famous Labyrinth Canyon section of the Green River, as well as its many side canyons. Labyrinth Canyon especially is truly unique. There's really no place like it, not only in Utah, but in the whole world. 
You can spend a whole week floating the canyon without ever encountering a single rapid. Congress has recognized just how special this place is and designated the river corridor as a wild and scenic river and the Emory County side of the river as wilderness. That means there's no motorized recreation at all on one side of the canyon. Unfortunately, currently, opportunities for enjoying the quiet recreation and solitude that wilderness is supposed to provide can be ruined in an instant by the sight and sound of ORVs racing up and down the riverbank as a result of the BLM's failure to end motorized recreation on the Grand County side of the canyon. River runners in Sua are advocating to protect this incredible place. We expect a public comment period to open soon for the Labyrinth Rims Gemini Bridges travel management area. Yeah, I know a lot of people have uh, gone down there, including myself, and have experienced that very thing you just talked about. Quiet canyon, all of a sudden, there's ATVs on the side. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Really ruins the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, let's let's take a step back. Describe for listeners the various stages of public comment that can occur in this kind of broad management planning. So, define for us scoping, draft environmental assessment, and final environmental assessment for listeners who get, you know, justifiably confused about this bureaucratic speak. And, and tell us why knowledgeable, specific comments matter throughout the process. Sure thing. So, What you're talking about is what we call the NEPA process. So NEPA, or the National Environmental Policy Act, is the landmark environmental protection law in the United States. And essentially what it requires is that federal agencies consider the environmental effects of a proposed action before making a decision on what action to take. For travel management planning, this process begins with scoping. And this is the first opportunity for public participation. The agency uses the scoping period to gather information that will help them make decisions later. After scoping, the agency puts together a draft environmental assessment. This document explains the decision to be made and presents a range of alternatives and their environmental effects. So for example, with travel management planning, the decision would be route designations for off-road vehicles within a particular travel management area. Each of the alternatives will then present a different range of routes being opened or closed. And from there, the agency solicits public comments on the draft environmental assessment. It's important to know that the agency has dual obligations. The agency must analyze environmental impacts under NEPA, and the agency is required to minimize damage to resources and conflicts between resource users. This is why specific comments about personal experiences in the backcountry are so important. The final environmental assessment responds to comments on the draft environmental assessment, And then the last step of the process is the record of decision, which determines which action the agency is going to take. And that is the end of the NEPA process. Well, it is bureaucratic, but I do want to go back and just talk about one really important thing that you said, and that is that it's the dual obligations the agency has. They are supposed to not only analyze these impacts and do the -the on-the-ground research, but they're also required to minimize damage to resources and to minimize conflicts between users. So that's why it's important that people make their comments and say, yeah, I have a conflict with this particular use, right? Yes, that's absolutely true. The agency can't minimize damage or conflicts if they don't know about it. And so that's why it's so important for the public to get involved during those comment periods. Great. 
So what you just described is a really important reason why people should get involved in the planning process and why their voices are important. But let's take a step back from that even. So explain to us overall, why is travel planning important? That's a great question, Dave. A lot of people really have no idea what travel planning is, but it is the most important planning process going on in Utah today, with long-running implications for wilderness quality lands, other protected areas, and the 30 by 30. As you know, designated wilderness is the highest level of environmental protection for a landscape, and to qualify, it must be 5,000 contiguous acres of a roadless area. So where roads are designated for motorized use makes an enormous impact on what areas of wilderness quality lands can be permanently protected as congressionally designated wilderness. Also, this administration has committed to the Global 30 by 30 initiative to protect 30% of the land by 2030 in order to help mitigate the impacts of climate change. And these areas could play a really important role in that if we are able to protect them as non-motorized wilderness. So while at first you might not think that travel planning really makes much of a difference, in fact, it could contribute quite a lot, not only to wilderness protection in Utah, but the fight against climate change as a whole. Well, that summarizes it really well, Kelsey. We really appreciate your time and expertise on this fairly confusing subject, but thanks for making it simple for us and for bringing us up to date on this really timely topic. I know you've not heard the last of it, so uh, thank you again for, uh, for joining us. I look forward to coming back with an update. Wild Utah is recorded at Sua's main office in Salt Lake City on equipment purchased through the generosity of our members. Sua is primarily member-funded. Over 90% of our revenue comes directly from people who care about protecting southern Utah's Red Rock country. We're proud of that because it keeps our voice independent. If you'd like to help protect Wild Utah today, please head to sua.org and click the Donate button. We appreciate your support. Wild Utah's theme music, What's Worth, is composed by Moab singer-songwriter Haley Noel Austin. Our interlude music, Chuck's Guitar, is by Larry Pattis. Post-studio editing and production is by Laura Borshevsky. To stay informed about current events at SUA, visit us at SUA.org and click on Get Involved to discover how you can join the movement to protect Wild Utah. To receive information and alerts via text message, text the word Utah to 52886. Again, text the word Utah to the number 52886. Follow the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance on Facebook, on Instagram at Protect Wild Utah, and on Twitter at Southern UT Wild. And be sure to subscribe to the Wild Utah podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Visit sua.org forward slash podcast for additional ways to subscribe and to access our archive of previous episodes. On behalf of SUA, I'm Dave Pacheco. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We hope you can join us for the next episode of Wild Utah.